Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Welcome back to episode six of The Big Cruise Podcast. I'm Baz, your host, and in a moment we'll be joined by Chris Frayne talking all things cruise news. A little later in the show, we'll also be joined by Luke, who will give a review of his recent cruise aboard Queen Elizabeth. And uh, also a quick shout out to those people that have got in touch, whether that's via the website or leaving a review online. I will try every week to give a shout out to somebody that has left a review or got in contact with us. And this week it's to Wayne, who jumped on the website. Uh, hit on the button, join the show, and sent a message to say, really enjoying the podcast. Look forward to each and every episode. My pleasure, Wayne. I'm glad you enjoy it. And uh, do tell your friends, family, and other cruisers all about us and where they can find us, which is pretty much in every pod cruise directory. But most people do find us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on Spotify. Without further ado, it's time for Cruise News. And once again, it's time for my favourite part of the show where we're joined by Chris Frame to learn a little bit about maritime history and, of course, all the latest cruise news. Chris, welcome to the show. It's great to be back. Oh, back in 1948. So let's turn back time. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that's um, important at the moment, particularly for everybody who loves cruising and travelling by sea, is that there is a future and that it is going to get better. Um, And so I get a lot of comments at the moment about will cruising restart will the industry survive will these ships that i love go back into service and one of the things that i thought might be worthwhile is just to look at some of the other parts of the world history where it has looked pretty dire for passenger ships and how they have rebounded and one of those was um 
a ship called the Britannic, which served very, very bravely during World War II. And you can't really think of a much more worse uh, scenario for people than World War II. I mean, I know we're going through quite a lot at the moment, but there's obviously um, a lot of personal risk during World War II as well. Uh, and the world's fleet of passenger ships were requisitioned for use as troop carriers, as um, uh, military, for military purposes and all sorts of other things. And they went into very dangerous situations into the war zone. They were painted grey. They had thousands of troops on board and it was all very, very dangerous. Uh, and Britannic was one of those ships. So she was one of the last ships ever built for the White Star Line. You might remember we spoke about um, the Georgic, which was her sister ship a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. But Britannic had a much more... Um, uh, I suppose, successful wartime career because uh, whilst Georgic was, was bombed and sunk, Britannic actually ended up transporting over 100,000 troops successfully during, um, during the war. And so this month in history, all those years back in 1948, she actually had finished her wartime service. Um, then she did repatriation services where she was helping everybody um, to get home to where they, where they lived. And, and there was also a, a big thing called the War Bride Service where they would... Um, relocate people who'd got married to to live with their partners uh, and then in 1948 in May after having been refurbished the ship was returned onto her Liverpool to New York service uh, and ended up sailing with Cunard um, which had taken over White Star Line by that stage um, until November of 1960 so I think it just is another little way to look back and think that that despite everything maybe seeming a little bit um, dire and a little bit negative now there is there is hope for all of our favourite ships, and there's some good stories that we've got uh, in the in the news coming up as well, um, because the shipping lines are definitely working to ensure that they can re-establish services. So, um, for the listeners, the lovers of cruising, uh, they can look at that um, time in history to see that many of these ships that survived um, situations that for the ships were much more dangerous than than what's happening at the moment. Um, they did go back into service and were able to operate for many years to come. Now, it seems like two minutes ago since we last spoke, but it's been a busy week in, in the industry and lots of announcements from various different cruise lines. Yep. Let's kick it off with Carnival, both here locally in Australia and also in the US. Yeah, so Carnival um, in Australia has extended its local cruise pause. Um, so there's there's two ships that have been operating out of Australian uh, ports, which will be impacted by this. That's the Splendour and the Spirit. Um, and they aren't planning to resume voyages now until the 31st of August. Uh, and of course, as we always say, take all of these dates with an asterisk next to it because it's changing pretty much week to week, as, um, as you would have noticed on these podcasts. Um, but what's interesting as well is that um, I checked out where Splendor and Spirit are. Um, Spirit, which we've covered before, is up in um, Manila Bay. And Splendor is actually just off the coast um, up in the Philippines as well. But what's remarkable, Barry, is if you go to the marine trackers and go to Manila Bay, there's now this enormous cluster uh, of cruise ships there, which is significantly bigger than what it was even last week. And we're talking about um, multiple ships from Costa, from Royal, uh, Royal Caribbean, from Princess Cruises. There's the Sun Princess, Majestic Princess, Queen Elizabeth there. Um, there's Ruby Princess, Explorer Dream, uh, Carnival Spirits up there as well, Sea Princess, um, Ovation of the Seas, Voyager of the Seas. Um, and it must be the most remarkable sight from, um, from the city to look out and see all these massive cruise ships uh, docked there. So, so some, and also there's lots of photographs going up on um, Facebook from crew who are on board those ships so people can check that out. Um, 
as for Carnival in the UK, uh, sorry, the US rather, um, they are planning to um, commit, recommence cruising later this year at the moment on the 1st of August with eight ships of their fleet. Uh, that includes Dream, Freedom, Vista, Horizon, uh, Carnival Magic, Carnival Sensation, Breeze and Elation, um, which is a mix of ships. It's interesting because it's not just their newer ships there, but there's also a couple of them from that uh, Fascination class, which um, many are saying online would probably be the last to come back into service, but Carnival saying, no, they'll bring them back. Um, but again, 1st of August, that's currently when the US um, cruising restrictions come to an end, but that can also be extended. So again, just speak to your travel advisor um, about what's going to happen to your voyage a bit closer to the time. Piano Australia locally? Yeah, so they're also extending their their pause and operations. There's, of course, the three ships of the Piano Australia fleet, um, and they're currently all up in the Philippines as well, um, nearby that cluster of ships. Um, so Piano is not the only ones, though. I mean, the pauses are being extended by Holland America, by Princess, Seaborn, and we already know Cunard and Piano in the UK have also extended their pauses into August as well. So um, again, it's a it's a moving target, um, and it really will depend on uh, how things go with with government restrictions and whether or not uh, other countries internationally can get their um, coronavirus situation as well under control as as we seem to have here in Australia and across in New Zealand as well. Norwegian Cruise Lines Holdings, which is a parent uh, group for Norwegian Cruise Lines, Oceania and Regent Seven Seas, have been busy this week securing some finance for the future. They have. So earlier this week, the internet erupted with talk about Norwegian Cruise Lines is about to collapse and it needs um, a huge injection of cash and the share price. If you look at the, the share prices for all three of the big American players, the Norwegian, Royal Caribbean and, and Carnival, the, the share price kind of plummeted a little bit um, this week uh, off the back of all that news. But it turns out that Norwegian Cruise Line has been successful in um, securing a $2 billion of finance, which in the absolute worst case scenario, if they um, couldn't do anything, they didn't change their business model at all, um, would allow them to to keep the company afloat for for a year, but obviously they're not just going to sit around um, on their hands waiting for the worst to happen. So that's very good uh, news for Norwegian. And actually, your guest from last week, Emma from um, Cruising Isn't Just for Old People, that's her mm-hmm. um, her website. Uh, she's done a really good YouTube video which sort of explains that in more detail, probably more time than we have um, here on the podcast. But if your listeners are, are interested, they can they can go and check out Emma's video. She kind of goes into it in a lot more uh, detail as to what that means and how they secured that money. Brilliant. And in a lighthearted note, Cunard, renowned for its uh, high tea or afternoon tea, have released one of their famous recipes. <laughs> yes. So one of the greatest traditions since back in the QE2s days, and now it's been carried on for the current fleet, is the Cunard afternoon tea in the Queen's Room with the, the harpist playing and the white glove service and the tea and um, cakes and sandwiches. And the highlight is the scones, the Cunard scones, which have been... Um, something that people will actually queue up for to, to get access to when the ships are full. Uh, and so no one's traveling on Cunard at the moment. Everyone's missing their holidays. And so Cunard very, very kindly um, have released the recipe on their, on their Facebook page and on their YouTube. Uh, and one of the Cunard chefs, um, uh, Nicholas Olroyd, who's very well known on board the ship, he actually does the cooking demonstration to show you how to cook these these scones and people have been 
have been making them and then sharing their videos and photographs on on social media about um, and they look exactly like they do um, in um, on the ship. I mean, it must be something to do with the recipe, which gives them that, that very high shape and they just kind of break apart lovely. And yeah, so people are enjoying that, particularly the Cunard fans who are missing their, their afternoon tea. Now, we've got a whole series of good positive cruise news coming up. Let's start off with Penance, which is a, a French cruise line, but they, they do have offices here in Australia and very, very popular in expedition cruising. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, their new ship, which is under construction in Norway, Le Commandant Chacot, um, she is a unique design because whilst most passenger ships today are powered by um, a system called diesel electric, which is diesel engines which create electricity that then drives the propulsion system, this particular ship is LNG electric, which means that rather than diesel powering the uh, generators, She's using liquefied natural gas, um, which in turn makes her uh, more environmentally friendly than her diesel counterparts. And this isn't a new thing. I mean, um, there are other ships that, that have LNG or gas-powered turbines on board. Uh, that ranges from Queen Mary 2, which uses gas power to get up to high speed, all the way through to some of the new builds for Carnival UK um, and um and also AIDA has some LNG-powered ships, but this one doesn't have that diesel combination. So those ones are LNG, diesel, and electric. This one here is just um, LNG electric, which makes her quite interesting. So, uh, you know, another new build under construction in Norway hasn't been impacted, like, significantly by the coronavirus outbreak, which gives us, obviously, hope that... Um, that these things are going to going to resolve themselves in the future and that this nice new ship can come into service and offer people a unique experience. And uh, because it is going into very different places, they're actually allowing for some scientific research on board. I believe there's going to be labor- laboratories on board and cabins put aside for, for technicians and scientists to, to really learn a little bit more about these extreme parts of the world, which is great. Yeah. I mean, it's a great way to, to have a multi-use for the ship as well because not only is she going to be able to offer these um, unique experiences for those who want to go and see these areas, but also it's quite you know it's quite um, rare to have ships that can operate year round in these conditions. So for for the scientific community, it's a great opportunity for them to to have access to a ship that's going to be in that that that, that area thanks to that uh, that polar class hull. And another new ship is uh, currently just gone into construction: Scenic Eclipse Two. Yeah, so another luxury ship um, being built in Croatia, which is quite interesting. It's not really a, um, a place where you would think that um, is no, known for its modern-day shipbuilding, but but it is. It's it's growing a, a shipbuilding industry over there, and they're um, involved in the construction of this second luxury yacht of the same sort of style. So she's very similar to the first um, Eclipse, which is already in service, um, accommodating around about 228 passengers. Uh, and it's a luxury style experience so these are these are luxury super yachts um they also are the expedition sort of class of ships so it has the ability to go on these sort of up close nature excursions they've also got um even access to helicopters and submarines for for their guests to to enjoy um submersible experiences you can see under the sea so quite quite unique and another one that's um going to then start doing those voyages. I think 2021, they're expecting to have it out by. Um, and with the first steel cut, it just um, means that, that that first step towards the construction is is now underway. 
a little closer to home um, in Singapore, they're using some cruise ships as accommodation. So Genting Cruise Lines is the holding company or the owner of three of the big uh, cruise lines in Asia. That's Crystal Cruises, Dream Cruises and Star Cruises. Uh, and they have been working with the government of Singapore to source temporary accommodation for workers uh, who have recovered from and are now clear of coronavirus. Uh, and so after undertaking a series of um, checks and going through numerous hurdles, which includes being sure that the ship's air conditioning, air recycling systems are able to healthily cycle air through the ship, which is one of the things that people have been discussing uh, since this coronavirus outbreak is the air conditioning on ships. And so these ships are, are certified as being um, able to provide enough fresh air for the ship to be considered a healthy place. Uh, and they are now able to uh, provide housing on board uh, those two ships in Singapore. So that's a great uh, use of these passenger ships in this situation. Uh, and something that people have been asking about, why can't these ships be used for things like housing and accommodation um, or alternate uses? So it's good to see one of the major shipping lines getting across one of those big hurdles for a future use of their ships. Now, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen various cruise ships um, retrace icons of some description in the ocean. Um, some princesses just completed a pretty difficult manoeuvre out, uh, outside of Manila Bay. Yes, the princess logo, so the sea witch it's known as, it's uh, quite quite an iconic logo. It obviously was star in the um, in the love boat, on those love boat ships. They used to have it on the funnel there. It's on the bow of the ships now. And now they've actually drawn it out in the ocean. And it's remarkable, um, the precision in which it's done by. Um, this is just the latest. I mean, we've spoken about the doing doing stars and um, and and love hearts and other such things on the on the podcast, but this one here is a detailed um, logo that many princess cruise cruisers are uh, uh, connected to and and I'd love to see. So they've done that. You can see it on Voyage Tracker. Um, it's also screenshots of it all over the internet. Um, and again, like for the ship to be able to to do these these maneuvers where they they're doing points at the end of the at the end of the hair. I think that's only really possible because these modern day ships can can do all their own uh turning they have this um, bow thrusters and potted propulsion systems that allow them to do these very precise turns and they can they can draw out these uh, remarkable um routes on their on their computer um simulations and work out whether they can do it or not and then they go and perform it for real life quite something yeah for sure and last but by no means least vasco da gama has made her way home to london tilbury yeah, so Vasco da Gama is a, a ship that many of us locally will um, have a connection with because for several years she operated here as Pacific Eden. Um, and so she was um, was sold from P&O Cruises and, and started service with CMV, um, had been operating um, locally, but her home base is obviously in the UK. Um, so after doing a series of um, uh, voyages to repatriate um, people people locally. She's now done that long trip back um, to to the UK and um, is at rest in Tilbury with the rest of the or the majority of the CMV fleet. So smaller ships they can get into into Tilbury, which is easier. Um, but the UK is a very busy cruise port. So there's again like what we were talking about with um, with Manila. There's clusters of ships all throughout the UK. Um, they're actually even bringing them out to um, Anchorage 
uh, off Weymouth, which is remarkable because that's not a usual <laughs> place for ships. And um, there's some fantastic photographs of ships of the Carnival UK fleet, for example, lined up. And if you know, if you just look at the picture, it almost looks as if it's a day um, on a cruise schedule where there's three or four cruise ships in ready to do their shore tours. <laughs> um, and they'll stay sit there for a week or so. So it's, it's quite something. And before we uh, hit record on the podcast, you were just talking briefly. You released another video this week, which has been very, very popular, highlighting um, where the ships are in the world. If people are interested, where can they find that video? Ah, uh, yeah, sure. So it's um, at youtube.com slash Chris Cunard. So it's Chris and the word Cunard all in one word. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's titled um, where, does the, where Are the World's Cruise Ships? Like where are they all parked um, or docked or berthed? And one of the funny things is the actual video has in the title, Where Do You Park the World's Great Fleet of Cruise Ships? And I've had a lot of people saying to me, you don't park a ship, you, <laughs> you berth it or you anchor it. And I was like, I, I totally agree. But I did have here the uh, captain of the QE2 once talking about parking the QE2. And so I thought, well, if he thinks it's okay to use it, then, then I'll go with it as well. But um, no, absolutely. You, 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 where are they docked and where are they berthed and, and where are they anchored? Um, so um, yeah, it just covers off on all the different spots where the ships are. And um, again, in, in the history of passenger shipping, we've never really seen the world's fleet of passenger ships all laid up at once. So it's quite... It's getting quite a lot of um, interest because I think people are just wondering, like, what do you do with them all? So brilliant! Yeah. I will check it out myself. Thanks again, Chris. Until next week. Thank you. Right next up on the podcast, we've got our friend Luke, who's going to be uh, reviewing his recent cruise. In fact, very recent. It was only in February of this year, February 2020. Uh, Luke, I believe you uh, cruised on Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, exactly right, Baz. Um, it was a first-time cruise for myself. Um, I've been in love with the Cunard line since I was um, very little. Um, a lot of your listeners will be familiar with um, Chris Frame. He's been a childhood best friend of mine since kindergarten, and we've always been very fond of the Cunard line. And the first uh, cruise cherry pop for me had to be one of the queens. Excellent. So you chose a short cruise, um, just a coastal voyage between uh, Melbourne and Sydney. So you didn't visit any ports as such, uh, but obviously you got to experience uh, Cunard at its finest. Um, I guess you've kind of explained why you chose this cruise, um, but did you, you're based in Brisbane, did you say? Correct, yes. I live in Brisbane. So you would have flown down to, to Melbourne to embark on the ship. Did you have anywhere, did you stay in Melbourne beforehand for, for a night or two? I did, yeah. So the um, the the night prior, um, so the Friday night, um, stayed in Melbourne, and then Saturday morning we uh, boarded Queen Elizabeth. Oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. Yep, yep. So when you got to the ter cruise terminal um, and you you checked in, roughly how long did it take you to get from say curbside to to that point where you're walking up the gangway? Um, again, we're very lucky because. Chris has got platinum slash diamond status with Cunard, so we sort of got to go through the priority line. Um, so from when we arrived out of the um, out of the car and through to being actually on the ship, all in all, it's probably about an hour, not long. Okay, very good. And um, you mentioned you'd uh, got a, a fun spot for Cunard, but this was your first time actually physically stepping foot on Queen Elizabeth, is that right? Exactly right, yeah. For the first time I'd stepped foot on QE2, but um, first time on Queen Elizabeth. And what were those initial thoughts as you walked from the gangway into the ship? Uh, listen, th those those first sort of breathtaking moments when you walk through the door and, you know, you've got the violins playing, um, you've got 
you know, the beautiful atrium that you walk into, it's, it's, it's hard to not know that you're on one of the Cunard ships. And it, it took me straight back to, you know, stepping on board QE2 all those years ago. Um, it, it was just amazing. Crews, big smiles on their faces and dressed to the nines in their, you know, in their, in their white jackets and being very welcoming on board. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely an experience. It was, it's one that you just don't forget. And it's one that you, I think only experience on Cunard, just sort of seeing that, you know, that luxury entrance when you first walk in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, um, did you catch a bite to eat or did you head straight to your stateroom? Uh, no, we headed um, straight to the room. And then, um, uh, lucky for me, Chris knows the Queen Elizabeth backwards. So he took me on a big, big tour of the ship, showed me all the ins and outs and everywhere where we'll be dining and um, all the areas, went up to the spa area, saw, um, saw like the warm stone beds that people just lie in there for hours and watch the world go by. And um, yeah, so we did a full tour of the ship from front to back and um, and then we got set up for um, Chris's uh, talk as well. Now, before you sail from anywhere, you have to do a lifeboat drill. Remind me of Cunard, do you have to physically get your life jacket from your cabin and take it to the muster point or do you just meet in a central lounge and, and watch a video or a demonstration? Um, so they actually make the bringing your life jacket optional. Um, they do say on the announcement, um, if you'd like to bring it, you can, um, but they advise not. Um, and then the demonstration is done um, by the crew, basically doing a life jacket drill in front of you. So there's probably about 20 of the ship's crew um, all, um, all gathered in the Britannia where you all sort of head to. Um, and you, you watch the life jacket life jacket drill from there and listen to the announcement from the captain as well. Yep, yep, fair enough. Now, cabin type, um, obviously you didn't get to choose your cabin, but what were you allocated and uh, what did you think of the size, the layout, the bathroom, and that important question, did it have a glass shower screen or that awful shower curtain? Um, no, it, it did have the curtain, <laughs> the, uh, the, the shower, um, but you know, room size, so we're in a twin room. So it was, um, two, two single beds. Um, but you, you wouldn't know it, you know, it was, um, really good size. You know, you've got a, you've got a desk, you've got the TV. There's, there was plenty of room between the two beds, even within the bathroom itself. There was, there was enough room to do what you need to do in there, you know, whether you're getting changed or, um, you know, using the facilities. Um, the thing I was most surprised by was actually how good the water pressure was from the shower, to be honest. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, I thought it was going to be a dribble, you know, it, it, it looked like, you know, I thought cruise ship, surely there might be good um, water pressure, but, um, took me by surprise. It actually had a, a really good shower and really good water pressure um, in the bathroom. Good to know. And how about USBs? So it, have they been added to the ship more recently? Um, there was two on the study desk, I believe, um, okay. two, two USB inputs. Um, but by the beds, it's still the um, the British plugs um, by the desk. But I believe they have um, ample adapters on board should you need them at the de at the um, at the purser's desk. Now, you were only on board for, for a short time, but I'm hoping you got to try uh, the various dining options on board. Let's start off with the, the, the buffet, the, the Lido. Did you uh, dine in there at all? Uh, we did. We did breakfast in the Lido um, at, 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 the, uh, at the after the ship there. It was, it was um, um, again, a lot of precautions were being taken then um, as the coronavirus or COVID-19 um, had started during that time in February. So um, whenever we walked in, through the Lido or even into sit down and dine, um, you know, you were greeted with someone with hand sanitizer um, to san sanitize you each time you um, went through. Um, 
and in terms of the leader, great selection. Um, I think one person who we had dinner with at night, would, yeah, I think he'd, he'd travelled on Queen Elizabeth lots and lots of times. He used to call, he, he kept referring it to as the trough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I found it, um, the food options were great, um, lots of different varieties and, um, you know, lots of selection of drinks as well, you know, your teas, your coffees, your juices, um, that sort of stuff, and very attentive crew as well in the leader, you know, to clear plates and um, yeah. that sort of thing. And how about the main dining room? I'm guessing well, for, for listeners that are not familiar with Cunard, the main dining room is basically determined uh, to be one of three, depending on what you book. That can be either the the Britannia, um, the uh, Princess, or the the Queen's Grill. Uh, I'm I'm guessing you're probably in Britannia. Would that sound right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, we um, we dined in Britannia, um, so we did the um, the late sitting at eight thirty. Um, um, we, and we did that both nights. Um, uh, main reasons being just so we could attend the the later shows after dinner, um, and give us a bit more time during the day, um, just to sort of explore the ship and do all the activities that were on offer. Um, but our, our dining was the uh, the three course dining option each night um, in the Britannia. And did you try any of the speciality restaurants at all? Um, no, the only other only other one we tried on board was the Golden Line Pub. We had lunch in the Golden Line Pub. Um, which obviously they um, serve like a sort of English pub style food choices in there, which which were which were brilliant. Um, so, you know, there's only about six or seven options to choose from. Um, but yeah, so that's the only really other the other dining that we did um, on board. Okay, now you obviously had a sea day, and that's when everybody on the ship is using all the facilities. How did you find the the movement of people and the, the lounges? Could you find a quiet spot if you wanted to? Oh, definitely. Um, it didn't seem like the ship was that booked. Um, but, you know, the first night out at sea um, when, you know, we, it was the hustle and bustle the first night, everyone sort of into the swing of things and, um, you know, having a few drinks. Um, there was quite a few people <laughs> um, um, that you could see, especially in the Golden Lion pub, you know, um, towards dinner um, and in sort of the... Um, the uh, the cafe Corinthia area, there was quite a few gatherings of people as well, and you know you know they had the the live entertainment down in the garden lounge at the back as well. So that's where you could sort of see where there was more people and everyone was starting to gather. Um, but in terms of walking around the ship every day uh, uh, during the day and um, finding spots to sit and have a coffee, um, no, plenty of nice quiet options to sort of relax and have a chat. Oh, great. And just remind me, how much is, say, a, a specialty coffee or a beer or a glass of wine on board? Um, so it's all in US dollars on Cunard. Um, so I believe for, I mean, when we were just grabbing coffee at the uh, at the Corinthia, it was about three US dollars uh, for okay. a cappuccino. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, now, entertainment on board. Cunard is a little bit more traditional than some of the, the newer cruise lines. What kind of activities were taking place throughout the day and the evening on board? Um, so during, during the day there was, um, you know, you've, you've got your talks, um, that's what we're predominantly on board for, which was, um, for Chris Frame's lecture on the maritime history. Um, and then, so, and then you've got different activities throughout the day. They do like your trivia quizzes. Um, there's, um, um, like there's, you know, the card, <laughs> the card games, all that sort of thing. But to be perfectly honest, as you know, we're on the ship for such a limited time, we just wanted to walk around and enjoy its facilities. And, um, you know, we, we, we did the, um, I attended Chris's talk on board, which was, which was great and good to see a really good turnout for that as well. Um, you know, and I think that's what a lot of people who had been on the ship for a while 
were more interested in hearing and seeing were the sort of the lectures on board. Um, but a, a lot of the people on board were more just sort of about sitting around having a drink and just having a relax, really. It, was, um, it, it wasn't a calm day at sea. You know, the ship was moving a bit, um, so there wasn't too many outdoor things happening. Um, but a lot of people were just sort of confined to the bar space areas and just enjoying a drink and a, and a chin wag. And how about the dress code? Because obviously Cunard um, likes to encourage people to, to dress for the occasion in an evening. Uh, was it particularly formal? On, you're only on a short sector right now, but was there a formal night or was it one of the slightly more casual evenings? Uh, no, the, so the second night was was the formal night um, where they ask you to dress to the nines and suit up and um, and, and go to dinner, So which which we did. Um so we, we in the Britannia that second night it was um, it was a formal night which was really great, um, and the first night um, you know they still ask you to dress smart for dinner so you know I just sort of did slacks and a jacket on the first night but I did see people in you know jeans and a polo shirt with a you know a nice jacket on um, so I, I don't think it's police too much but it was all in the um, all the options and recommendations were in the um in the newsletter in the cabin um sure. there when we arrived now normally we'd move on and start talking about the ports that you visit obviously you didn't go to any particular ports other than arriving into sydney um yeah. curious did you get up early for the, the sailing through the heads and into sydney harbour um no no so we we didn't because we had a bit of a late night um on the <laughs> second night <laughs> um as we were as we were on the ship for any limited time. <laughs> you missed out. If you ever sail back in Sydney again, please do it, because it is absolutely stunning to, to go through the heads and just see Sydney appear, and then you, you dock in such a, the, the iconic part of the city at uh, Circular Quay there. Yeah. Um, if you had to choose a particular area of the ship that either wowed you or you just particularly um, were drawn back to, where would that be? Um, yeah, the, the theatre was absolutely spectacular. We... Um, the show that we saw after dinner on the first night was sort of like a bit of a Jersey Boys sort of slash, you know, um, you know that type of music sort of yeah. um, dedication, and it was just really good and fun. Um, and it was, uh, it's, you know, very involvement with the crowd as well, and it's just sort of a chance for, you know, everyone was sort of letting loose a bit and having a bit of fun and having a sing. Um, and it, you completely forget you're on a ship. When you're sitting there, what do you just think you'd, you know, at a, at a normal theatre watching a show? But um, yeah. I was really taken back by by that. And every now and then you'd hear a wave crash up against the side of the ship and then she'd remind you that you were on a ship. <laughs> um, <laughs> all of a sudden your seat would move. But, um, but yeah, no, it was uh, the theatre was absolutely spectacular. I, I really enjoyed the, the shows and, um, and how well put together it is as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, all ships have either a cruise director or an entertainment director. I think with Cunard, they refer to them as entertainment directors. Um, did you, I mean, it was a short cruise, but did you hear from them other than the Tannoys or did you see them visible around the ship? Did they make a difference to your, your cruise experience? Um, so the the, um, the entertainment director actually introduced the show each night. She actually came out on the stage um, each night and, um, and chatted to everyone and introduced the act and also talked about what was happening on the next day's activities as well. Um, so she, she was actually very visible, um, including when the lectures were occurring as well. Um, but you certainly do hear them over the PA throughout the day when certain activities are starting, um, letting you know what's happening. Um, so yeah, very involved, uh, even on a short cruise. Um, and as we later found out, a lot of the crew were actually getting off in Sydney and uh, returning home. It was actually doing a big cruise swap in Sydney. So this was actually oh. the, 
last couple of days of their um, their extended journey. Cunard traditionally attracts a, a more, not elderly, but a, a more mature clientele. Now, you're on a short coastal voyage, which might mix, mix things up, but who do you think Queen Elizabeth really appeals to most? Um, listen, I'd say, um, you know, if you're a young family, I'd probably say no, um, not for young families, but if, you know, for families that have got, you know, teenagers um, and above, um, or couples, um, I don't think it's just sort of set towards the mature age of the market. I think it's there's something on board for everyone. I mean, there is a kids club on board, um, so you know, for younger families, it, it might work. Um, but I sort of felt like it's it was more pointed towards couples and the families with older sort of kids, um, and um, and the mature market as well. So sort of, you know, it, it covers all aspects of the uh, of the age spectrum. Um, but, you know, I can certainly see why why it is appealing to the mature age market. I mean, it's certainly got the uh, the class aspect to it and the um, sort of more refinement to the service. But for this, it sort of feel, feels more refined. You know, you're sitting down at dinner for three courses and the service is um, impeccable and, everyone's dressed up really nicely and, you know, there's a bit of class to it, um, you know, and it's it's a bit more formal, I guess, than you'd find when on a more relaxed sort of style cruise, cruise like on the P&O yeah. Pacific cruises they do around Australia, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I, I always say similar because, uh, you know, people do perceive Cunard to be a cruise for, for slightly more mature people, but there is a, a growing number of younger clientele that really like that dressing for the occasion and the refinement of cruising of, of yesteryear, which Cunard and a couple of other cruise lines do uh, do offer still. And um, I think if you know that in advance, then you can still enjoy a beautiful cruise on board Cunard. Yeah, now, definitely. If the uh, the management of Cunard, either in Sydney or, or back in the UK, or just happen to be listening to them, have you got uh, anything you'd like to share with them, good, bad or indifferent, that, that you'd uh, like to comment on about Queen Elizabeth? You know, it's um, from, I mean, 94, I was on QE2. I was very young, but it's it's great to see, you know, the, the ships representing what Cunard is known for. Um, and you, it hasn't lapsed over time. Um, if anything, it's gotten better. Um, you know, they, they just keep refining the model and just, um, you know, when you see that red funnel and that, you know, the black hole on the ship, you know it's a Cunard ship. You know, yeah. they just, um, it just, it just represents that brand. And, you know, when you see that, you know, a lot of people make a lot of fuss about the Queens coming into port and they do that because it's, you know, it's, it's the Cunard ships. It's what they're known for. Um, you know, it was, everything was just impeccable. The, the layout of the ship, the service on board, um, you know, we even got to see a radar dome change in Melbourne because one of the radar domes was damaged and they had to put a new one on while we we're in port in Melbourne, which was really interesting to see. Um you know, it delayed the departure by a couple of hours, but we still arrived in Sydney on time on Monday morning. Yeah. No issues there. Um, everything was just done by the book and, you know, it was just a well-oiled machine. You know, it was, um, you know, the crew definitely know how to make you feel welcome and, um, you know, like you, they want you on board and want you to be there. They've had 180 years to, to refine it and they're, they're doing a pretty good job to, to con- consistently um, put those Cunard touches and standards out there. Um, Now, obviously, things are a little bit different. Global operations for all cruise lines are currently paused, but if and when the time is right, will you cruise again? 
Oh, 100%. 100%. There's um, something very romantic about cruising. Um, and, you know, being a first-timer and being out there on the water, even um, going out of the bay in Melbourne, you know, we are out on deck when we are sort of going out into the open water just before the pilot got off board. Um, oh, there's just something magical about it. You know, there's you're not going to see a clearer sky when you're out in the open water. Um, and being out on the sea and not seeing land, you know, any side of the ship, there, there was just something special about it. Yeah. Um, and I, it, it definitely got my, uh, <laughs> my eagerness to do another cruise lit and wanting to do it again. Um, and hopefully my wife feels the same. She's very prone to sick, seasickness, but hopefully, um, you know, she'll, she'll have the courage to maybe start on a short cruise as well and maybe introduce her to it as well. Oh, brilliant. Good news. Good news. Now, when you do cruise again, we'd love to hear your review on your next ship as well. Um, just a quick mention, mention to our listeners that if you are interested in a Cunard cruise, you can visit our friends at cruisefinder.com.au where you'll find more than 30,000 different cruises. And including those is Cunard's deployment back to Australia a little later this year. I think she arrives back November, December um, at some point. Um, thanks again, Luke. Really appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast and uh, we hope to uh, speak to you again soon. Thanks, Baz. Really appreciate you having me on, mate. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.